Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators. It is time for our one of our seasonal algorithm boosts. <laughs> That's right, Michael. Michael Malice, who pretends to be a serious drinker, but you just saw what a pathetic mess he just made of this. He has a drinking problem. Um, has, is joining us today. He's got a new book, and therefore he's accepting, obviously, all, all podcast invitations. How are you, Michael? What, you couldn't put on a tie? What's going on? <laughs> Look, okay. He is, so when I, when I, the first time I did Michael's show, I came in in a, in a, in a tie and jacket, as a gentleman will. Uh, but now that I'm a podcaster, actually, <laughs> What happened, you know, what really broke me was the, um, what, cause I used to always put on a tie for shul three times a day, no matter what. And then the whole world just got, got so flabby and lax and casual. Speaking of which you now live since the last time we spoke, you're, you're now in the middle of the country, right? You're no, no, you're no longer a New Yorker. I'm still a New Yorker, but I, I live in Austin. Oh, ooh, very good. And, and you're still a cosmopolitan. Oh, well, I'll always be a rootless cosmopolitan. Yes, <laughs> yes you will. And, I, and we're going to talk it. about that very much. Um, but the first thing Michael said to me, and the thing about Michael Malice that's great, is that he really, he really is the guy who needs no introduction. Certainly anyone who's watching this program already knows who Michael is and maybe already hates him. <laughs> Especially the host. Which is exactly... <laughs> The point he just told me, repeat for me what you just said when we were doing the sound check about whose show you just finished doing and the question you asked me. Oh, no, I had Robert Barnes on my show. We recorded oh, okay. this week's episode. Um, and I asked if you two hated each other because I can't keep track of who gets along with whom any longer. And since you both have a Venn diagram, you're both, you know, center, like right of center, uh, legal minds. Uh, you're, I think you're in Florida as well, correct? I think I'm what I, I what. You guys are both in Florida, no? No, no, no. I, I'm still here in New Jersey. I'm looking oh. at the hazy skyline of Manhattan. Oh, God help us. Okay. I so, can't move to Florida because, first of all, there's, you know, there's a maximum number of Jews now. I mean, with this with this new crazy white-wing Supreme Court, anything's possible, right? I mean, they just endorsed non-racial-based, you know, uh, admissions and no bake caking cake baking mandating and out of control out of control these guys they're so extremist yeah i, I don't i don't feel comfortable with you holding those scissors where are those going you, one thing you know is i'm not going to run with them because we're doing the show and, and of course michael knows that i have add and so that my hands have to be busy at, at all times uh but but he said to me right you know, are you like one of the many conservatives who hates other conservatives on Twitter? And I have it has been got has gotten very, very difficult to participate in the give and take. 
Yeah. Because I, I'm afraid to even like a tweet that Andrew Brusowitz or 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 a Gavin Wax, both or got both of whom are my friends, will say shows that I'm not a true MAGA. Or, yeah. or or the other way around. You know, I mean, it's it's insane. And of course, this is the kind of thing that is couldn't be less Michael Malisey. But Barnes and I actually do get along great. Right. Um because I, and that's because of my low, my very high level of tolerance, though. I mean, I recognize what the problem would be. Michael, you I do see that you're doing a lot of a lot of podcasts now. Because you finished your book, yes, sir, and, you, and you're, you're hawking the book, and I, I, in fact, the one that I chose to watch, and, and you know, I hate, I hate podcasts. Okay, I don't watch them, I don't listen to them, I don't have the patience. Same, but I felt I had to see where, what you were up to lately, and let someone else and know what not to ask you about. So, um, you know, and I was fascinated that you, you I, I don't remember which one it was, but you did a Christian Babylon B. Was oh yes, it was Babylon B, right? Which oddly enough, and this, by the way, America is um, this is the book. Yes, sir. And I'm going to ask you, and it was interesting to me, and we've we've done this a little bit our, ourselves also, uh, because I am a an Orthodox, um, and you always like to remind me with your semi bogus claim that you went to Orthodox school when you were little. Yes, um, I, I, I know what that's really all about. I know what you Russians are all about. You want my C door? I oh, know. I see now, by the way, that on Wikipedia, you're a Ukrainian American. I think they did they pull that because I never identifies that. Uh, that's what it had this this morning. I, I, I okay, was. I believe but, you. I'm just saying it's uh, someone put that, and I don't. I don't think that's accurate because I never. We spoke Russian at home, so I would think Ukrainian American. Yeah, it's Ukrainian American. I I I mean, you know how that identity. You know what you are. You're a Jid. Yes, the both of them. Yes, <laughs> it makes no difference. Right, I, it's exactly correct. Right. Tell us about the book. Tell us what the why. Of course, I don't need to put it on the screen because it's behind you. The the poster, uh, and the painting, the, the painting, the poster. That's from Sal's famous. He made the painting of the book cover. Um, yeah, the 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 white pill is the story of the rise and fall of the Soviet Union, and also all the Western apologists. Um, for every atrocity that was committed, there was someone in the West who was often still in power, these organizations uh, making excuses, or if not an explicit defense of the worst uh, crimes that could possibly be committed against We people. know that they're still in power because in 2023, which is exactly 70 years after Stalin died, there's still never been a movie a major Hollywood movie about the life of the most influential human being who lived in the 20th century, Joseph Stalin. There's a, there's there's a movie called The Death of Stalin, which is superb. Yeah, yeah, that that was, but that's a it's a comedy thing. I'm talking about. Oh yeah, educating the Western world about the the degree of tyranny, and, yes. and why? What that means. Because it would step on the and to tell the story. You must tell the story of the fellow travelers. Well, it's also you because we have this very convenient narrative that World War II is the good guys versus the bad guys, which in one context is true. But then you have Stalin in there, and it's just like it all of a sudden gets a little messier because if he's is he the good guy, is he the bad guy? Well, then suddenly it's not as clean of a story. So yeah, they, you can't tell that story without getting to nuance, and Americans hate nuance because they're trained to despise it.
I understand that comic books are very big on in movies these days, unless you want to make money from it. Uh, right. So what I find fascinating is that you call this book the white pill because as different as you and I are in worldview, we agree on a lot of things. And one thing that I have recently had trouble defending, in fact, I think this came up when I did a, a I kind of sat in with, with Jack, Jack Basobic when he was subbing for Tim Pool. Boy, can we drop a few more names in the first 10 minutes of this? White pill. Uh, Ian, one of the one of the crew, one of the crazy dude there, right, uh, was saying, I, you know, I'm not so sure that history is really, and Jack was agreeing with him, history isn't really about uh, the good guys winning. It's just whoever writes the history is the, is, is the, you know, decides who's good and who's bad. And I said, okay, I, I get that. Conceptually, you can't, it, it's sort of a an axiomatic yes. statement. But in fact, good really does lose out over evil. And those of us who remember the Soviet Union, remember that feeling that it would never end because they had all the exits barred. They had all the fellow travelers. They had a controlled society in every respect. And I remember, I quoted Solzhenitsyn, I remember Solzhenitsyn saying, if you think that, it was in the American Spectator, if you if you think that, oh no, it wasn't, it was the it was speech, the speech at Harvard, that Russia, that the Soviet Union is going to leave Afghanistan the way you left Vietnam, you're kidding yourself. You're dealing with an entirely different system here. They're not like that. And they did leave. And the fact is, and and not and not and not cleanly. They had their asses handed to them. It wasn't like some kind of nice, you know, me and you shake hands and had a nice dinner. I'm leaving. You're leaving the restaurant, right? No, it it was it was right. They, they, it wasn't like they get me a cab. Um, yeah, it was ugly. And 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 it and what I've recently learned is that that it really profoundly um, affected the culture in the Soviet Union. Oh yeah, uh, in in ways that of course we we don't hear about. But it's astonishing to me that you use the Soviet Union as a model for understanding why good actually has this inherent power over that evil, notwithstanding the general understanding that ruthlessness is what is required to win, and that and that giving your adversaries, uh, you know, playing fair is what's all the good things. Those are for losers. Tell me the philosophy of why this is a the white pill story. Well, the thing that people don't may not appreciate is that if ruthlessness is required to win, and I think that might be the case if you're trying to be a totalitarian dictator, because you really have to have complete control. Otherwise, you know, it's because it's a it's a not a tenuous. It's a very tenuous system, and it has to accelerate. It, 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 yes, it, it can only get ratcheted up and up and up. But at a certain point, if you start killing a lot of innocent people, those people have kids. And those kids grow up and those kids are often not too happy about it. So it, you're, you cannot help if you're going to be this dictator creating a class of enemies. Now, it might even take a generation, but by the time someone's 16, 17, they're capable of, at the very least, terrorism or just, you know, and just inherently teenagers have this sense of rebellion. So in terms of stability, uh, you know, star, you spoke about how everyone thought the Soviet Union was going to be around forever. The best example, this is Star Trek. You had what's named Chekhov, who was, you know, on the plane on the whatever that the Enterprise with Spock and Captain Kirk, because the argument was, look, 
this is going on forever. It's always going to be a bipolar U.S. versus Russia or Soviet Union world or whatever the equivalent would be of the United Federation of Planets. And you just got to get used to it. And this idea that our country is going to vanish off the face of the earth is just not only nonsensical, it's incoherent. What does that mean? How could a country vanish? And now it's vanished so heavily that it's just even forgotten, even though this happened in the lifetimes of pretty much everyone listening to this. Uh, certainly you and I remember it quite vividly. And this was the indisputable uh, foreign policy issue, number one, in America for decades. And now it's completely forgotten. And one of the reasons it's forgotten is you can't expect the New York Times to tell this story because the New York Times doesn't come off well in this story. The New York Times, as I discuss in this book, genocide, you know, uh, concentration camps, whatever there is, they're there being like, oh, it's fine. You don't understand, you stupid, you stupid plebs. Um, so, and they've never had to atone for what they had tried to put over and still try to put over to the American people. There's this one scene in the book, which I, I had a joke and I was on the fence about including it. And I'm glad I did where I don't want to spoil it, but basically someone is being brought into the Blanca, the prison, and they're being tortured and trying to confess and the guy's not breaking. And then they bring in his teenage daughter and they raped her in front of him. And then he broke and he confesses. Cause that's the thing. People think, you know, they're Liam Neeson and they bring you into a jail and they'll do it. You could do whatever you want to me. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to break. It's like, that's nice. You have a wife, right? You have kids, you have friends. See how tough you are when you see your wife being tortured in front of you. It's, it, their level, they're very creative in their sadism. But then the, I, so after that story, I had a line about how I don't think this is who the New York Times had in mind when they ran their op-ed in was it 2020 about how women had better sex under socialism. And mind you, that article wasn't about like Sweden. It was about the Eastern Bloc. So the shamelessness, and you would think that an, or, an outlet, just as one example, that covered up both the Holocaust and the Ukrainian starvation would have a little bit of cultural sensitivity after the fact, as we're all asked to do, not unfairly about things like race and slavery and like, look, you're white, you've never had to, you're, this isn't your heritage about having been the you know, descendant of enslaved people, you're going to look at it differently. That, that thing, that's a fair case. You would think there'd be like, man, we got this really wrong. Like we've got some blood in our hands. Let's kind of let err on the side of caution and be like, let's do a kind of mea culpa. No, there's none of that. They, they there's zero sense and, of. And, and the weird thing is, what would it, what would it cost them? It's not like they're going to lose access to tax. Oh, I disagree. I think it would cost them no, their whole. I'm, I'm opening up the door for you to explain why that, in fact, is is the. Is, I, is wrong. I mean, what once somebody like look, if if you're married to someone, and they're like, yeah, you know, when we were engaged, I I had sex with like 80 people. Oops. It's like, well, well, we weren't married. It's just like, well, hold on. So when you're like, yeah, like two big genocides, we got it completely wrong. If, if they, they wouldn't even use those words, but like whatever it is, it's just like people, some people, maybe not everyone, certainly who reads the New York Times would be like, wow, okay, you have been an agent of indisputable evil in this, org in this country, and you've never uh, had to pay consequences for it. Now they've asked for Walter Durante, who had the Pulitzer, uh, for you know talking to Stalin, um, they had to get asked the Pulitzer to get revoked. But this is what like almost a hundred years later, um, or it is a hundred years later. So this is kind of a little too little too late uh, um, from my perspective. And that's just a minor um, bit of what they tried to uh, put over and still try to. So you use this example of the limits to everyone can be broken, basically. Yes. So that seems like a bit of a contradiction to your overall thesis. And in fact, it seemed it, the, the, the most telling moment of 1984 
is where Winston is broken. He thinks that he, like you said, he's Liam Neeson before his time. I can take it. And they, but they knew him so well that they knew that if he were exposed to rats in his case, they didn't even have to come on to even, and I was, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic. Even Orwell wasn't prepared to go there. Right. It was a personal horror to, that he was psychologically um, vulnerable to not love for another person, which would have been actually an incredibly profound point to have made. And there are many stories of Beria actually, or, or if, if not doing, well, first of all, Beria himself was a rapist, but multiple rape, many, many rapes. Yeah. yeah it wasn't just and, once and, there, yeah. and perhaps, well, I mean, he was everything, but 1984 tells us that because everyone can be broken, because every, because no one is strong enough ultimately to overcome a conscious, conscious-less Leviathan state. Um, why is your example helpful to your to your thesis as opposed to a disproof of your thesis? Well, first of all, I'll ask you this: Ross Ulbricht is currently in jail, right? Are you familiar with this case? Yes. Basically, he's got double life. He's in solitary, right? Um, with no hope of parole, is my understanding. Are you on camera right now going to tell Ross Ulbricht he should not have hope? Oh, no, I'm not that guy. I'm the white pill man myself. I want to hear how, first of all, that's a, you, your response, though, is, is not a very um, rationalistic one. It, it sounds to me more like a, a, an appeal to the human soul. Yes, I, that, that is something that the totalitarians want to snuff out the soul so absolutely i think hope is both rational but hope is both rational and non-rational it is a kind of like a compass like the, the lodestar pointing you in a correct direction but the receipts in this book demonstrate why there is room for hope even in, in this case the worst government that existed for a very long period of time now that does not mean that everyone is going to have a happy ending most certainly and but the same thing, if I'm talking to Ross right now, I would not tell him, well, they got you, so you might as well kill yourself. No, I would say you have to, even in your situation, hold out hope. But at the same time, that story you illustrate is, uh, which Americans don't appreciate, you can't put anything past these people. You have to know your enemy. Like there's nothing that they hold sacred. So Americans have this really whack, I'm sorry, not whack, not naive idea of evil with some guy with crazy mustache banging the desk. And to me, and, and what I illustrate in this book, you know, someone from the Soviet, born the Soviet Union, evil is often just that gray bureaucrat behind a desk who won't let you see your mom while she's dying from cancer simply because he has that power and it makes him feel like a big shot. Well, that's the whole story. That's the whole story of the banality of evil, right? Yes. Um. On a more uh, down-to-earth level, though, what is it? Why is it that, notwithstanding the fact that the heartless state can go to oh, in other words, that to you is not it's not in and of itself probative either way or the other, but rather that people need to come to grips with with the the nature of the enemy. Yes, and why it why they why they must have hope and why they must fight. Well, they must be prepared to, you know, to 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 stand up 
uh, and, 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 and engage in the fight. We're seeing in the United States today a cynical use of that American trust. There was a, there was always a sense that you know politics was a an important thing, but that people on both sides of the aisle really both wanted the same thing. Are we really Making all Americans? Yep. That's that's over. And the people who are our enemies and who want a certain kind of enslavement to take place in this country as well, like you said, they, they're not ranting and raving. They don't have funny mustaches. But what they're, in fact, they are technocrats. Yes. And extremely presentable and members of the elite. And what people don't realize is that their their attitude towards their fellow Americans is not what Hubert Humphreys was, or George McGovern's was, or Jimmy even Jimmy Carter's. This is, we're living in a very new world that people, I, I think, to a large extent, have not yet caught on. Who do you think is? I know my answer. I want to hear yours. Who has been most responsible for promulgating this idea? That, you know, we're all Americans, we both basically want the same things, but we just see things from different points of view. Who do you think promoted that idea more than anyone? Give me a time period. Uh, in the last, up to 2016, like 1980 to 2016. Okay. Promulgating it, again, uh, promulgating it and not really believing it or being the... So I, I think Barack someone, Obama, who has so who would have that if if someone had a speech that said "Make America Great Again," odds are they're a Trump supporter. They're not being ironic, right? right? So if someone had a speech that said, "You know, we all basically want the same things as Americans. We just see things slightly differently," what would you guess that speaker's? Um, I would political? go with Obama on this. He'd be a conservative. This has for decades been the big argument of conservatives, including Reagan, William F. Buckley. Uh, that, oh, our liberal, liberal foes just are certain things that don't happen to be true. We just, Reagan's like, look, we just see things differently. Oh, There's okay. Certain... So you're saying, it, so it's really actually a conservative. Yes. It's a conservative talking point that like, they're just deluded. Uh, they don't have the facts. They just see things differently. Let's let's kind of laugh at them a little bit. Okay. So, so what's your answer? Uh, to abolish conservatism. No, no, no. Who, who's the person that you consider the figure who is most singly responsible for that message? Probably Buckley, wouldn't you say? Probably Buckley, really. This was a central element of post-World War II conservatism, that it's like we have just, we, we're all basically the same, marketplace of ideas, we'll throw out ours, we're going to stand at thought history, you'll stop. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all Americans, we all want the same thing. Now, a lot of it's a function of the Cold War because it's a lot easier to unite against the common foe. But this was really a central element of conservatism for. Well, I'll, I'll now, say you this. might say it. No, I, I think I think you're right, and I, and I think what we what, one thing I, I don't receive well anymore is conservatives who define themselves as classical liberals. I'm really just a classical liberal, schmuck. Biggest mistake you could make. Okay, that game is over. And I'm not saying, I'm not. I mean the classical liberal game. The idea that we must, in fact, let 
all viewpoints be heard, that all viewpoints must be equally respected because that's how Stalinism gets onto your faculty. And that's how Stalinism, you know, get, gets into your union. And so, you know, that but that so you're saying destroy destroy conservatism well maybe it's doing it's uh, i think right now certainly looking at twitter it's doing a pretty good job of it right now yeah i think conservatism as an ideology i the the problem is people have some knee-jerk reactions to hearing things like that because in their mind conservative and republican and non-left are synonymous um and i'm specifically speaking of that type of conservatism who thinks that like we're just going to beat the democratic party like in 10 years and then we're going to have this kind of, you know, heaven on earth situation, and we're going to have this final victory of good over evil. And it's like where the only victories you guys are having are in the courts, the Supreme Courts, in the SCOTUS decision, uh, one of them. But in terms of legislatively, there's no coherent uh, conservative uh, agenda at all. Uh, the and that's been true for a very, very long time. Yes. There are all these betrayals of legislation yes. that were where the courts said. Oh, you said that you know race shan't, race shouldn't be a consideration. Well, our interpretation of that is that it should be a consideration. Yeah. The moment there was for Congress to say, oh, okay, checks and balances. We get this. I, I think you got guys got it wrong, but let's eliminate any question about it. Let's fix the legislation so that it says consideration of race shall be illegal. Congress didn't do that even then even then. Right. And there's no judicial activism that you can find ex except that wasn't, that was met with a legitimate legislative response. But that brings us back to uh, an earlier Michael Amal's point that, that I, that you mentioned, I think on my, maybe on my, on my show, which was the democracy is also a problem. It's well, not yes. just, it's, you know, I mean, that's, I think, more challenging to people listening to this. And, and please don't comment. It's not a democracy. It's a representative republic. Please. We're talking about democratic aspects of how our government functions, which are utterly broken, utterly but broken. This is one of the reasons why I'm against conservatism, that line you said. Imagine you walking in on your wife and she's in bed with somebody else. And you start sitting there and telling her, we had a marriage vow. And a marriage is a vow between two people who to love each other and permanently for the rest of their lives and to be faithful to one another and so on and so forth. You think she or the 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 lover are gonna be like, oh, oh what have I done? So this idea that you're gonna sit down with, you know, Chuck Schumer or Biden or Kamala Harris or any of these people and be like, we're a republic, not a democracy. They're like, oh, are they gonna start scrambling at their notes or change their behavior in one iota? They will laugh in your face and rightly so. So this kind of claim, I, I have never been able to understand what people think they're accomplishing by saying this other than smelling their own farts mm -hmm. and having this sense of like moral high ground over their opponents. Also, I mean, a very similar one, almost really right on point for your example is, and I get this all the time in the comments, they're just, Mr. Coleman, can't they be sued for, for breaching their oath of office? The oath of office? That's the, that's the Lone Ranger that you want to come in and, and apply it? That's the silver bullet that you have in mind? Or, no, no, how about this one? We should make it illegal for Congress to 
who is going to be making it illegal right. in your mind? <laughs> like who is passing the law that's restraining Congress? What the hell are you talking about? At, at the same, again, if you believe we're a republic, then you understand the legal process and you understand the legislative process, that that's Congress who's setting these laws. Why is Congress going to set a law to arrest members of Congress? The hell so with all this, about? with all this going on, what's the white pill for our time? You know, the, the white pill for the Soviet Union was really March 5th, 1953, when Stalin died. What really took place over the next 50 years, wasn't even 50 years, yeah. was an unraveling. Because if you're not ratcheting it up, you're ratcheting it down. Yes. And eventually, you know, we don't have the crazy guy with a mustache here. Uh, Biden doesn't even have to continue living to be president. He didn't have to be sentient to be elected president. Right. He'll just they'll just embalm him and say that he's no, he's fine. And everyone will write down. So what, what's, how do things change in our kinder, gentler tyranny? Yeah. So this is something else that drives me crazy about conservatives. And I'm, I'm positive you agree when they're like, Joe Biden is like a, you know, authoritarian dictator. And I'm like, do you have any idea how much worse it can get? Like, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. Like if you think America in 2023 that America's over, or that this we're basically living under Stalinism, like you are so naive and, and privileged to have this kind of claim. Now, then they hear, oh, so everything's fine. It's like, no, the two choices aren't utopia and Stalin. There is a lot. And, and frankly, if you put, I think we're a lot closer to utopia than we are to Stalin in America. I mean, the fact that we, we have enormous amount of freedom still remaining in this country, despite the best efforts of the enemy class. The white pill for America uh, and the world is how easy it is to have access to information and to create information and spread it. Yes, it's true. Because let's suppose I want to have you as my attorney, right? And we sit down and we have a meeting and you, you're obviously very smart, very articulate and well-informed. And then I see an article and this article shows that you were a bank robber or something, or you defrauded your clients, something like this, like unambiguous. That one incident dispels perhaps years of me working with you because right away I know I can't trust you, right? So there's a big asymmetry between truths and lies. If your friend is honest 99% of the time, but then once he, you, again, you walk in on him in bed with your wife, it, it's, not, it, it's, it's not 99 to one. The one is the one thing that matters. So when you recognize that certain forces such as New York Times aren't simply getting it wrong, but are intentionally, brazenly, being dishonest, and when called on it, will double down or ignore what they did. That is where hope comes in. Because once you realize what you're up against, then it's easier to fight, as opposed to this kind of daydreamy state where, sure, everyone makes mistakes. That's why pencils have erasers. At a certain point, you realize, oh, they're not making mistakes. They're lying, and they don't care. A little bit of light dis dispenses, yes. dispels a great amount of darkness. Yes. And you're perfectly said. You're 100 percent right. Uh, uh, to me, that is that's the pinhole through which yes, that light is always shining. Is the is information, even as you know, there was an effort a couple of years ago to completely delegitimize any relatively new newer media. Even yes. you know they did this to Fox, and and Fox pretty much laid down and took it, and now. Fox is just really pretty much no different. They did it to OAN. They did it to Drudge when he dropped the dress. 
They did this it to Drudge, right? So no, ninety-three, whatever, ninety-seven. You right? You, so you be, so then you're you're called Fringe. I think that they've actually backed off the, that a little bit, but they, but but they're focusing now on Tucker Carlson, for example, and he you know sure. he personally is a threat to the republic. But it is always easier for one guy to light that match. And now, yeah, you know, you have this world of podcasting and you have a world historical figure like Elon Musk. I don't care what you think of his cards. And that don't, and believe me, I'm frustrated with Twitter every day, but he will go down in history as a person who helped save freedom in this country because Twitter was becoming a gigantic engine of suppression of truth. Yes. And it's a and know, suppression it's, of individuals. Suppression of, of individuals. That's right. And, 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 and ruination of them. You know, it's, and, and again, it's like, as you say, it's not losing your Twitter account is not the same as being thrown in the gulag. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And let, let's like pause on that point because a lot of conservatives, conservatives very much take a lot of their culture from the left and adopt their own means. And any sense of persecution is kind of being thrown in the gulag. It's like, I agree with you that it's a, a historically in, in recent history, a lot of people are getting canceled and that's not acceptable. But again, losing your Twitter account is not the same as being in a concentration camp in well, Siberia and, or in Auschwitz. And I'll tell you what else, you know, in light of recent controversies, every instance of anti-Semitism is not the Holocaust. Yes. And true. every anti-Semite is not Hitler. And there are lots of people in the world with lots of views about lots of people and lots of groups of people. And it's rather asinine to choose how you treat individuals based on what group they're a member of. But all things being equal, if I go into certain neighborhoods, I can expect certain kinds of receptions. And the idea that once you start thinking like that, you're gassing people is not adult reasoning. And uh, the yeah. best the best proof of this is that no one disputes that for centuries, sexism was a way of life, right? That women were regarded as less intelligent, certainly can't do, shouldn't be in an office as a, sec as a secretary, so on and so forth. There's no genocide against women. That was, well, but, but that might be the case that proves, what is it, the exception that proves the rule because you need women, you know, you, you need women. Uh, besides, in most of the world, I think it, the condition of women, I mean, it's really just a sort of a quirk of the West that women have taken on this sort of prominent role in our societies, you know, and, 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 and in the, I mean, even Europe is starting to look askance at the way Americans, the, the utter confusion of Americans about sex roles. Sure, and, but my point is, even in these other countries where women are genuinely oppressed, they're not being sent to camps. They're not right. being exterminated en masse. And they're not, uh, right. And, and, and they're not, and, and, and the vast, you know, you can choose not to deal with certain kinds of, like that's should be, you know, I, I've often said, it is not a crime to hate people. It is not a crime to hate groups of people. It's not a crime to be a bigot. Um, we, you know, there's one of the things that Sotomayor was apparently screaming about in her dissent in today's opinion about uh, Harvard. Uh, on, today was the cake opinion. Oh no, today's opinion about about the three hundred three, right? Which was 
you're practically legalizing you're, you're, you're le the, this decision by the majority is legalizing discrimination dude discrimination is legal yes of course everyone discriminates every day about everything it's only a very few narrow areas of law that even as a society we have officially determined you're not allowed to discriminate. Of course, now we're saying you can't even discriminate against fat people, but they're entitled to two, you know, to two seats on the airplane. All right. You know, th that's not adult thinking either. Going back to the answer as we come up to the end of uh, the oxygen level in this room, you're saying that we, we, we come to the table with something that the slaves of the Soviet Union didn't even have going for them. Yes, correct. Which is which is a tradition of free inquiry and an expectation of free thought and free expression that makes it makes it possible to have podcasts and you know the the the, the media that do exist outside of the corporate media as you call it. Well, also we have something that Russians never had which is a tradition of of uh, challenging authority. Maybe it's only from the 60s. I don't think it goes that much further, but certainly this sense of that you could go up to President Trump or President Biden and ask him an, a, um, an embarrassing question. And it's not like you, you would be anathema and you can't have ever go to a restaurant again as if like you do that to Stalin. Even if you weren't sent to the gulag, you'd be completely ostracized. In America, there's plenty of people who would be, just regard you as a hero and virtually no one, would, unless it was really you know beyond the pale, uh, would you know, read you out of polite society. And that is also a big deal. So there's this kind of sense of, wait a minute, it's healthy to challenge the powerful because they don't always have our best interests at heart. And I think that's across the entire political spectrum in America, this kind of this perspective undergirds it. It is um, sincerely to be hoped that you're right and that people will buy the book and get the message. Um, and even if they don't buy the book, they need to get the message. Yes. And, and, and if this they... whole thing about how we're doomed, this is America. What are you talking? Uh, this, uh, sorry, this kind of triggers me a lot when people are like, like America in 2023 is the worst we've ever been. Are you insane? We had a civil war. We had the Great Depression. We had World War One. We had the Revolutionary War. These were periods where things were really, really much, much bleaker than they are now. And I include the COVID era in that, which I'm in no way saying was good, fine, get over it. These are horrible things, but I'm saying we've been through a lot worse as a country and we're still here. So this, you see, what, what Michael Malice brings to the table is your is is your background. You're, I'm once removed from it. My mother okay. came from a communist country, but she was smart enough to leave before it became communist. Okay. Which <laughs> um, country? Well, she. my mother is a Polish Jew who okay. grew up in Cuba. So oh, cool. Her parents left in 35. Smart. <laughs> Watch the yes. Colmans. And that would watch the Buznikis, Buznitskis, and when they left, and then they left Cuba in 56. Smart. Okay. Yeah. So that was. So they saw the writing on the wall. They saw the writing on the wall. Um, the problem, Vice, I think. Good Lord, you're lucky. You're, for, you're, that's two lotteries you won. You laugh, but these are, I mean, my God, you're very fortunate. A, a firebrand plucked from the, from the flames, as they say. Yes. My gosh. Thank God. Um, you know, but people who are immigrants or children of immigrants unquestionably are more politically conservative unless they're co-opted by the entitlement culture, which I think has become a, a recent problem for um, for Asians more yes. than yes. Uh, more, more than I think any other group. 
but I saw this during the slant the slants litigation when yes. Simon Tam was very disappointed with how a lot of the Asian advocacy groups were, you know, were not supporting him. But they're, they they're trying to, to be white. They're trying yeah. to be white women, which is the highest status population in America. And white women love talking about how they're oppressed and how no one listens to them. <laughs> but I'm serious. That's their. That's I, no, their you're hundred percent right. To. Yeah. Everyone knows that's why that's why they're called Karens. The Karen yes. is the is the symbol of the entitled uh, a liberal in some in so many ways. Um, Michael, great talk with you as usual. The time flew. Um, yeah, right. You think? Yeah, I always have fun talking. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks a lot for coming along. I really am looking forward to to reading this one and pushing it on as many people as possible. And I was a little disappointed when I clicked on the audio uh, version. That was your voice. And, you know, I, I thought I was going to get to do a chapter in all of your books from now on for free. <laughs> you're, you're not very good, by the way, at reading the audio book. My uh, second language. Cut me some slack. Stick, stick to your... Yeah, but next you'll, tell, next you'll tell me you write in English, too. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Ron. Same here. See you soon. Have a good Shabbos, you nut. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com, or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.